0: The following sermon is from Faith Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Join us on Sundays for our eight fifteen and eleven a.m. worship services. For more information, visit us online at faith-pca.org. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to the Book of Colossians. So go to your New Testament, Colossians chapter three. I'm going to look at verse twenty through verse four. Or through chapter 4, verse 1. If you're using a pew Bible around you, you can find this passage on page 984 and 985. We have been studying in our church in the fall. We we started a study in August. Through Paul's letter to the Colossians, we took a break that led us all the way up to Advent. We took a break for Advent, and now we're going to finish the letter this month, maybe a couple of weeks into February. And to set this up, since we're re-entering Colossians, let me remind you of something uh, about where we are in this letter. Starting in chapter 3, this portion of this letter has been characterized, and this is really important, uh, as sustained exhortation. And and you're going to see it big time this morning. But it is starting again in chapter 3, really all the way up through the rest of the book. It's just one command after another. It is one exhortation and application after another. You'll see what I mean as I read our passage this morning. This is God's Word. It's in the bulletin. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Starting in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything... For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoers will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's Word, and so let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. And to be in our midst this morning and to help us. Let's pray together. Father, this prayer before the sermon is not just something we do. We desperately need you. We bring one thing into this room this morning and that is our need. I cannot change a heart, only you can change a heart, and so we desperately need you to attend to the preaching of your word this morning. There are lots of commands here, it can be overwhelming, Uh, it can even be discouraging to many of us. But you tell us, you give us commands to show us about your character and about your holiness. You also use the law or commands to show us how life works best. And you also use commands to show us our own sin so that we might run with everything we've got to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you would do all of those things in our midst this morning. I pray that each person in this room and those in the overflow, that all of us would encounter Jesus. Help us to do that in his name. Amen. November 2021, there was an article. It was about a 70-year-old woman from northern England, and she, several years before, had purchased a piece of costume jewelry at a local flea market for a few dollars. And she's doing some house cleaning, spring cleaning, throwing lots of things away, and she finds this piece of costume jewelry and she had decided to throw it away her neighbor convinces her that she should at least get it evaluated by an expert and so she did and she took this piece of costume jewelry to be evaluated and instead of a cheap piece of costume jewelry she found out that it was this extremely rare 34 carat diamond worth $2.7 million. How do you think she treated that piece of jewelry now? Do you think she was tempted to throw it away? Do you think she was tempted to just throw it in a box or throw it in a jewelry box somewhere? No. Something that was once something that she thought had no value and was going to throw away, now she values treasures, protects, cherishes and holds on to it with her life because you see something of value doesn't it it impacts your life and changes the way you live and I tell you that story because that's really a good summary of what the apostle Paul is doing in the letter to the Colossians he is trying to get us to see that Jesus is so valuable And so beautiful. Remember how he talks about it in the early chapters of Colossians? He's the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. Jesus is the creator of all things. And in him, all things hold together. Why is Paul doing that? So that we might value and treasure treasure Jesus more than anything else in such a way that it would change our lives and actually change the way we live, especially the way we relate to one another. Think about this portion in Colossians. He has been showing us how the gospel, how Jesus applies to relationships, and he's been showing us the most intimate relationships of our lives. And several weeks ago, we looked at marriage and how the gospel applies to the marriage relationship. This morning, he shows us How the gospel applies to parent-child relationships and also to our relationships in the workplace. That's our outline this morning. If you're a note taker, two things. How the gospel applies at home and the gospel in our work. The gospel at home and the gospel at work. Let's look at our first heading, the gospel at home. So after talking about in verses 18 and 19, marriage, he moves to parent-child relationships. And there's lots of places I could take this. We are a church of a lot of young families, if you haven't noticed. Lots of young families. So I'm going to speak, when I talk to children, uh, to younger children, to youth, to teenagers this morning. And so if any of those describe you... Listen closely, because the Apostle Paul is speaking directly to you this morning in verse 20. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So let's work that out. Okay, so in everything, so that means I'm gonna, I need to obey them even into sin? Is that what it's saying? No, of course not. That's not what it's saying. It doesn't mean that you should obey or that you should do something against the Bible or against God's will. God would never want that for you. He would never want you to go against his word or against his will. And remember, Paul is speaking here to Christians, to Christian families. He's talking to the church and so to the covenant family where parents, by the grace of God, are striving to raise their children... In the Lord, trying to teach them the Scriptures and praying with and for them. And that said, you know if you're a parent, and we know from just living life, that there are lots of places where there is no, thus saith the Lord... When it comes to parenting or some explicit detail about that specific situation that you're dealing with within your family. For example, the Bible doesn't say when your kids get to be this age, then their curfew is this time. And so children, your parents have to use lots of wisdom. They have to pray. They have to seek wisdom. They have to make tons of judgment calls in their parenting. And God is saying that you defer to them. That you come up under their authority and you follow them. And then the question is: why? Why do I need to listen to my parents and obey them? Paul tells us again, verse 20, for this pleases the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Think about that. You want to know one of the things that brings God pleasure, and one of the things that He loves children, and teenagers. It is when you obey and listen to your parents. That brings God pleasure, and He loves it. If you look at these verses, look at 18, just go up and look all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. You'll see a phrase repeated over and over in this section, and it is the phrase, the Lord. And what is being reminded uh, to us is that the most important person in all of these relationships... That Paul has been talking about is the Lord is God himself kids you are to look beyond your parents and say Lord I love you I belong to you and God I want to honor you therefore I will love and honor my parents teenagers I know it can be really tempting And it can be seen as being really cool in this season of your life to distance yourself from your parents and to talk poorly about them. It's so tempting, isn't it? I mean, at the lunch table, when everyone else is doing it or when you're in a text thread and people are talking poorly about their parents to just simply jump in and to bash your parents too. You want to know a really clear way? That you can follow Jesus in the world. One very clear way that you can live for God and please God in this world is to express love and honor towards your parents, especially when the rest of the world around you is talking poorly about their own. You see, when you honor, respect, and listen to your parents, you are actually pleasing God. And there's another reason, I think, that needs to be mentioned of why you obey and listen to your parents, and that is because it is part of God's good design for the world. Let me work it out. Children, you have been placed into a family, and you had no control over that. You were placed into your family by the grace of God, and God placed you under the authority of your parents. But your parents' children are also under authority. They're under God's authority. And God gave them you to steward as a gift. And being a good steward means that parents seek with everything they've got to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to raise them according to biblical wisdom and principles. Think about baptisms when some... Uh, A a child gets baptized, the parents come up, and they make vows to the church and to God about what? I will seek to raise my child in the Lord to pray with and for them and to teach them the holy doctrines of the Christian religion. Why? Why is that so important? Because we believe that life works best when you follow God and follow His Word and His wisdom. God created us, and as human beings, we come with a, so to speak, with a manufacturer's design. Think about it. We are made in such a way that if you're going to thrive in life, if you're going to be fully alive as a human being, that happens when you live according to God's word and wisdom. When you live according to God's word and wisdom, life, think about the Proverbs, tends to go well for you. And when you don't, when children, when you rebel and push back against your parents and refuse the ways of the Lord, you know what the Bible calls you? A fool. And it says that life, if you do that, will be painful for you. And it will be hard for you. Think about if you're driving, you're a teenager, 16. Maybe you've got a car. Think about your car. When you get the car, there's that big booklet that no one ever looks at in your glove box And that is the manufacturer's manual. And what does it tell you if you're ever to look through it? What kind of gas you're to use and the maintenance schedule, the oil, what what kind of oil oil goes in your car, all of those things that was given by the creator of the car. And if you refuse to do that, what happens? If you do that, the car lasts, you get as many miles as possible out of it. If you don't ever change the oil... Rotate the tires. If you put the wrong gas in it, what happens to your car? You ruin your own car. That's the point. God is saying, God's word, he says, and my wisdom is like the owner's manual for your soul. And when you listen to it, and when you listen to your parents Then you will thrive in life and life will go well for you. If you violate your design, life will be miserable and you could possibly ruin your life. It is just the natural design of the world. Children, but especially teenagers, can we talk? I'm your pastor, but I'm also a parent. And I was also a teenager once. And so I know you think your parents are crazy. (laughs) I know that you think your parents have way too many rules. And you think they are way too strict. And they say no way too many times. And that they are so out of touch. And I said this with my teenage girls here in the first service. But think you're so out of touch. My girls always say, you don't understand. You're from the 1900s. But what if, teenagers, what if your parents, listen to this, who have lived more life than you are making decisions because they love you more than anything in this world, and they're making these decisions and actually trying to help you to honor God's design for you so that, they, so that you thrive in life and so that you have the best. Of life. What if instead of thinking they're over the top, what if they actually love you so deeply that they're actually trying to save your soul? They're actually trying to save you from heartache and pain and the consequences of wrong and sinful decisions. Kids, you want to know the secret of the universe? Parenting is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing that your parents have ever done. And they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out because their parents, for the first time in walking through these things, just like you're trying to figure out life, walking through life for the first time as a teenager, your parents, listen to this, are simply trying to follow Jesus. They pray, they seek wisdom, and they do the very best they can. And yes, we make a lot of mistakes, don't we? Yes, we make wrong decisions and probably bad decisions in lots of moments. Please forgive us. And if you're here, not just teenagers here, but if you're a child, older, you're mad at your parents, maybe you're struggling with the ways that your parents have raised you, and this could be years down the road, go talk to them. Have respect for them and go talk to them about your issues with the ways that they have raised you. And give them a chance to repent. Give them a chance to say that they're sorry and to make it right, because here it is, they really do love you. And they really want, you know, more than anything in this world, you know what they want? They want a great relationship with you all the way through life. Paul then moves to the parents. So parents, it's time for us to listen up. Verse 21, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There's definitely application here. So it just mentions fathers for mothers as well, so both parents, but he does specifically say fathers. Why? Well, look in verse 19 in the marriage. What does he exhort the husband? He says, don't be harsh with your wives. And so perhaps there's this tendency for fathers to be heavy-handed and to be harsh in their criticism of their children and harsh in their discipline. And so this is an exhortation, again, not just, I think, let's put all parents in this, to not provoke your children so that they become disheartened. And so the question then is, how do parents do that? Lots can be said here. But we invoke and embitter our children by placing and expecting too much out of them. And by being overly critical in school, in athlete or in academics, but also in athletics, several years ago, there was a survey done for college athletes, and they asked two questions. And the first question was, "What was your worst memories in high school and youth sports?" And you know what they said? The consensus on that question from these college athletes was their worst memories were the ride home with their parents. The ride home, and they would say before the sweat even dried up, the questioning and the critiquing would begin. But you know what their best memories were? The thing they were asked that made them feel the greatest, the overwhelming response was six words, I love to watch you play. We provoke our children when we're overly hard on them with athletics and academics, and we provoke them when we are too overbearing and overprotective and too many rules. We provoke them by not being involved in their lives at all. We provoke, do you do this? These are all the things I do, by the way. <laughs> but do you provoke them? We provoke them, don't we? don't we, when we're always in teacher mode? We're always in parent mode with our children, and we never have any fun with them. And we never connect with them and simply just be with them. Or how about this one? We provoke our children when we demand a level of commitment to Jesus or a level of holiness that we want to see in our children that we never demand of ourselves. Parents, in what ways have we provoked our children and discouraged them? If you don't know, then do something, and you got to be really brave and have lots of courage and be really secure in Jesus. But ask them. And here's the thing they will tell you. Because our kids, I hope you know this, can read us like a book, and they will tell you the truth. And at this point, you're probably like me, and all of the, you know, parents, we walk around with lots of parenting shame and guilt, don't we? And at this point, if you're like me, all of the guilt and shame comes pouring in, and so what do we do with our parenting guilt and shame? What do we do? Jesus The gospel is what we do. We apply the gospel. How do we do that? Well, we start, hang with me here, by covering our shame with Jesus, not our children. And here's what I mean. Our children are blessings from the Lord, yes, but they make terrible clothing and covering, don't they? And here's what I mean. If you cover your shame with your children, let me say it another way. If you make an idol out of your children, then you will become obsessed with how they respond to you. You will be constantly disappointed because they will never love you the way that you want them to love you. They'll never be good enough for you. And they will sense that, that you have made an idol out of them. And that they're the center of your world, and they will grow up paralyzed, constantly fearing that they are disappointing you. And you know what will happen to you? Think about any idol. If that's where our hope is, if your hope is in your children, then you will constantly be disappointed, discouraged, and even devastated. Why? Because our children were never meant to be our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And he covers our shame with his righteousness. So we take our children out of the center of our lives and let's put Jesus back on his rightful throne in our lives. The gospel also speaks to us and says we can give up trying to be perfect parents because we never will be. You know, we do that. We know We need the gospel and we need Jesus because we're not perfect, because we're sinful. But for whatever reason, I do this too, I try to be a perfect parent. And I think it hurts us. And so the gospel comes and says, take your parenting failures to Jesus. Because Jesus sets you free and allows you to actually own them. And here's what I mean. The gospel brings freedom in parenting. Because it means that we can swing back into the relationship with our children, and in humility, we can go to them and say, I am so sorry. I am so sorry for the ways I've embittered you and provoked you. I love you. Would you please forgive me? And we hear that, and maybe your knee jerk reaction is like, No, I can't do that because it'll show a chink in the armor. And, and they will undermine authority, my authority, or it will take my authority away, and they'll start to question it. No, it will not. It will do the complete opposite. It will actually connect you to them in deeper and richer and more meaningful ways, and it will create in them a love for you that you will not believe. John Cox... He's done some conferences here. He's a counselor. He says, what our kids most need is not a perfect parent, but a humble parent who's willing to swing back in and be willing to humble themselves and ask forgiveness. He also says, if adult parents would simply, listen to this, would simply just apologize and exercise humility in the parent-child relationship, that he would be out of a job If we would simply be able to do that. Parents. If we make the gospel. The foundation of our relationship with our children. It will bring about a love. And connection. Unlike we have seen. In any of our relationships. More than you dare dream or thought possible. Second thing. I've got to be quick here. But the gospel at work. Look at verse 22. Paul receives a lot of criticism here for not going after the institution of slavery. It's in every commentary. And remember, slavery in the first century was different than slavery in America in the 18th, 19th century. It wasn't race-based. Many people willfully, voluntarily went into slavery because it provided job security for them. And they always had a chance to work out of it, and to achieve their own freedom. But during this time, ancient uh, scholars and historians believe that there were some 60 million slaves at this time in the Roman Empire. That said, slavery's wrong, and it's sinful, and it's something created by human beings, sinful human beings, and it doesn't represent God's will for creation. And so then the million-dollar question is, okay, so then why did not Paul push on it? Why didn't Paul push back? Why didn't he say to the slaves, rebel, rise up, go after them, break free? Simply put, it's not his point. That's not his point in this section of Colossians. Remember studying your Bibles? The most important words, location, location, location. For That's real estate. Most important words in studying your Bible? Context, context, context. What's the context? Paul is talking about how the gospel applies in all of these different relationships. And he started at the beginning of chapter 3. Paul is not advocating for the practice of slavery. He's not approving of it. He's not calling for it to be overturned. He's simply speaking to what is. And he's saying to Christian slaves, here's what it looks like to live out the gospel. And to Christian masters, here's what it looks like to be a Christian master and to live out the gospel with those under your authority. And the scholars will tell you that these principles have application for employees and employers today. So let's make a couple of applications for employees and employers today, looking at these verses. Let's start with employees. So, workers, verse 22. It says, we are to work not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Eye service simply means that you only worked or worked harder when your boss was looking. And we know what that's like. When the teacher leaves the room, what do the students do? They goof off. When your coach is not looking or steps out of the gym, you let up. Or you go half speed. Or... You ask your kids to clean your room, they go up and say, Mom, Dad, look at my room, and you look under the bed, (laughs) and everything is not put away but shoved under the bed. And maybe you're familiar with this, but I know my Wildcats got destroyed by Alabama uh, yesterday, so I've got to just own that this morning. But I'm a huge basketball fan. I love March Madness. And have you ever heard of the boss button on the March Madness app? Yes, everybody's saying that means that you're, you're guilty of using the boss button. There is a boss button on the March Madness app, and when you hear your boss coming, you press the boss button, the game goes to mute, and like a spreadsheet or something pop, pops up on your phone. And then when, you, when your boss leaves, then you push the button again, the, the game comes on live. Paul, when he talks about eye service, he's talking about boss buttons. And he's saying, don't do that. If you're a Christian, uh, don't be a people pleaser. Don't work when only your boss is working. You work to the Lord's, whether it's big or small or important or menial. Your motivation is you work for one. You work for the eyes of God and he is watching you and he is your ultimate employer. Verse 23, work heartily for the Lord, not for men. I did this growing up, but I used to. People tend to draw a dichotomy between spiritual work and secular work. The Bible doesn't do that, and the Reformation locked onto this big time and said all legitimate human tasks are God-given and equally spiritual. And I think that's important to think about our work. Martin Luther used to say, "The maid sweeping for the glory of God." is just as honoring to God and infused with dignity as the greatest preacher in the world. So all the Bible teaches all legitimate work has honor and glory. Verse 24 and 25, again, I'll try to be quick, talks about receiving an inheritance. And so the implications is that employees were not being treated very well. These slaves were not being treated well or receiving fair treatment. And they would definitely not be receiving an inheritance. And Paul says, you will be rewarded an inheritance. Why? Because your boss and your master is the Lord Christ. And he will not fail to give you what is yours. Some of you this morning have been defrauded in business relationships. Some of you have had employees steal from you. Some of you have not been paid appropriately. Um. And Paul is saying here, God sees. And God doesn't forget, and he will make it right. So employers, and I know there's lots of employers in our church, business owners. He also has some words for you. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Christian masters in the first century had no legal obligations to their slaves. If they did, it was very little and minimal. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't care what the law says. You're a Christian, and so you work by a Christian ethic, and that means that you pay your servants, you pay your employees what they are worth, and you treat them fairly and justly. Chuck Colson tells a story about Richard Halverson, who was a Presbyterian minister in the 1950s and 60s. He was also chaplain in the U.S. Senate, and he started going to Halverson's church. And this or Halverson, this business owner, he owned lots of dealerships, car dealerships in the city. And he started going to his church and became a Christian, but he was known throughout the community uh, for not being honest in his dealings with customers and not treating his employees fairly. And so when he became a Christian, he went to Halverson. He said, I got this great idea, a way to honor God and my faith and to thank him. I'm going to give a New Testament, one of those little New Testaments, to every employee and to every customer that walks in the door. And Halverson says, that's great, but I got a better idea. How about you start by treating your customers fairly? How about you start by treating your employees fairly? Because if you don't and you give them New Testaments and you continue to treat people the way you've been treating them, it will be more detrimental to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the principle that God is laying out for employers in this verse. If you're an employer here, friends, God cares about how you treat your employees. And he cares about how you treat your customers. And so employers, do the people who work for you know that you're a Christian based on how you treat them? And then the question is, why do you treat them justly and fairly? Look at verse 1 as an employer For you also have a master in heaven. I love this. Paul is saying, I don't care how far up the org chart you are, you report to someone. Is that you have a boss, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, every master has a master. It doesn't matter how big your company is. It doesn't matter how much influence and power you have, how many employees you have. Jesus is in charge. And so think about this if you are a master what does that make you if you have a master what does that make us bond servants slaves and do you realize that's how the apostle paul talked about himself Romans chapter 1 verse 1 I Paul a slave of Jesus Christ and here's the question How does our master treat us? How does our boss treat us? Kindly and graciously and gently. God, think about this is really about authority and how authority is to be used. How did God use his authority as master? He stooped low, came into the world in order to redeem us. That word redeem is a rich biblical word. That means to buy back a person out of slavery. That's the gospel. Jesus came into the world to buy you back. We were slaves to sin. God bought us back, not with gold and silver, but with his own blood. Friends, I'll close here. The grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ truly does change everything, doesn't it? truly does change all of our relationships. Think about your relationship if you're married with your spouse, with your children if you have children, and it changes the way we relate in the workplace. God is so gracious and kind with us, and that is the power, think about the gospel power, that fuels you and pushes you out into the closest relationships in your life and allows you to serve and to love and to forgive and to be humble. We love because God first loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being kind and gracious. Forgive us for the ways that we lord our authority over those around us. And Holy Spirit, give children grace to listen and to obey their parents and to trust them. Give parents the grace to own their failures and to take them to you. And give employees and employers grace to apply the gospel in the workplace. Deepen the gospel in all of our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.